0: Welcome to FieldLink, I'm your host Bill Smith. It's National FFA Week, and we're excited to have a few members from the state officer team in Tennessee join us in the FieldLink studio to share their story as we celebrate National FFA Week. Did you know that Helena not only provides growers from across the nation agronomic solutions, but we also provide products and services for home and commercial pest control and landscapers from across the nation. In this episode, we sit down with Todd Belcher from Rent-A-Kill in Delray Beach, Florida. We discuss how his business provides a wide range of pest control services to local HOAs and commercial businesses in South Florida, ranging from insect and road control to tree and landscape management services. Plus, Jody and Brady Lawrence from Nashville help us become a little bit more cotton-wise in 2024. They'll discuss and share some tips that might help cotton producers take advantage of some of the uptick in the cotton market. Stay tuned for this episode of FieldLink. Welcome back to FieldLink. I'm your host, Bill Smith. Uh, I want to welcome the Tennessee State Officer Team here. We've got a handful of them here joining us today here in the podcast studio here in Memphis, Tennessee. With us is the State FFA President for the State of Tennessee, Ella Hasty. Ella, welcome to FieldLink.
1: Hi, I'm so excited to be here.
0: All right, and we also have Abigail Ham. She is the West Tennessee State Vice President.
1: Hey, I'm honored to
2: be
3: home.
0: All right, you're back in uh, West Tennessee today. And Gracie Flemons. Gracie's our state secretary. Gracie, welcome to FieldLink.
3: Hi, thank you so much for having us.
0: All right. And finally, we have Maddie Rodell. Maddie is the state reporter. Welcome, Maddie.
3: Hi, I'm honored to be here.
0: All right. Well, ladies, it's great to have you here in the Field Link podcast. This week is uh, National FFA Week. Uh, You guys are on a goodwill tour uh, across the state of Tennessee. I know your compadres, the other half of the team, are in East Tennessee this week visiting different businesses and industries. Tell us a little bit about the goodwill tours and what they're really all about.
1: Yes, Google Tour has been around as a Tennessee tradition for a very long time now uh, where the state officers get to go across the state and just tour with a lot of, whether it's the chapters or a lot of businesses that support Tennessee FFA in honor of FFA Week. So whether it's down here in Memphis or up in the mountains uh, for the other half of our team, we're learning so much about agriculture and just so thankful to have so many people celebrate FFA Week with us and keep these traditions going.
0: Well, uh, National FFA Week, uh, it's a great celebration across the country. Uh, Your your fellow state officers from across the nation in Puerto Rico and uh, uh, the Virgin Islands uh, are all celebrating National FFA Week here. Uh, Abigail, tell us a little bit about some of the activities taking place in Tennessee this week as it relates to uh, National FFA Week.
2: So as Ella mentioned, we are very busy this week. You know, eight of us girls, eight of our teammates, we are all around the state. And so like for our West Tennessee crew, we were able to visit the First Farmers Co-op in Lexington, Tennessee. We were able to meet with the grassroots of agriculture and meet with co-op members. We traveled over to Crockett County FFA to meet with high schoolers, to meet with our officer team, and aided at the local eatery. So it's good to have that local feel on Goodwill Tour, meeting industry people. And we also got to tour their facilities. It's amazing to see at the smaller level what organized like what these chapters are able to accomplish and then for our east tennessee team they're making a lot more college collegiate visits um, i know that they were attending university of tennessee knoxville breakfast this morning and then they'll head over to the Weigels headquarters things like that meeting with ffa members as well and as for the rest of the week we have legislative visit coming up so we're very excited for our legislative breakfast to meet with people all around our state
0: Oh, that's awesome. A lot of uh, good tours, uh, meeting a lot of people and engaging with the community. That's really great. Uh, Gracie, tell us a little bit about home. Where's home for you and how did you get involved
3: in FFA? I'm so happy you asked that. Um, I I actually grew up in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. I, I kind of claim all of Wilson County, kind of all over, but um, I grew up with no agriculture experience. Actually, didn't have any family members in it, and the only other person in my family that wore the blue jacket was my brother so i got in kind of the same situation that he did i got into my first ever ag science class and it took just that one thing for me to get hooked and i did everything my advisors would let me do competing in so many different contests creating saes spreading agriculture education across wilson county and even starting a show team at mount juliet high school and starting to show dorset advantage sheep so That's kind of where I got my start, and I went to my first ever national convention when I was only a freshman, and I was like, I want you to make me a state officer to my advisor, and ever since then, I was working towards this goal, and that's kind of how I have worked for it to get this position.
0: Awesome. Great story there. And Maddie, tell us a little bit, you know, as a state reporter, you get to report on a lot of things in Tennessee FFA. Uh, I was a state reporter in Nebraska many, many years ago. So tell us a little bit about the growth of FFA in Tennessee and and really across the country.
3: Well, I'm glad we were both able to share that title. I know it's something that's really special to me, but as a reporter, one thing I love to do is just highlight members and chapters from across the state. Seeing that it is National FFA Week, a lot of chapters have been posting things like SAE Sunday, where they can share their supervised agricultural experiences, or Teacher Tuesday, where they're sharing about their advisors and ag teachers from all across the state. And especially a lot of the growth that we see these days, Tennessee is ranked seventh in the nation right now as far as membership, and we're just continuing to grow. We have over 32,000 FFA members across the state. So I'm really just excited to see where this organization heads in the future.
0: Well, it's a it's interesting. You know, the numbers continue to climb nationally for the FFA, and that's a great experience uh, for a lot of youth. And clearly, as an industry, we continue to need to, you know, I guess reload with young energy. And and you all four are great examples of that. Today, you all got to come to Memphis and spend a little time at the Helena Products Group, and hopefully, unlike some other tours, you got some hands-on experience here today. Ella, tell us a little bit about some of the things you learned in the Helena Products Laboratory.
1: Yes, so going into the laboratory was super exciting because we got to put on, you know, our (laughs) goggles and gloves and everything and actually really get involved. So they had really great demonstrations that showed us how the Helena Products work compared to just For example, normal water, what those droplets look like on the leaves, how the leaves actually take in those nutrients and the things that the products are providing. And it was very neat to see that hands-on and actually understand, you know, sometimes some words can get thrown around, but seeing that with our own eyes, getting to actually do hands-on opportunities like these, we really got to understand how important these products are and how they've been around for many years and are continuing to change and innovate over time uh, through different experiments that we got to do in the labs. It really just helped us to understand that.
0: Yeah, and Abigail, you got to actually go through a formulation process where you guys actually made a foliar fertilizer. Tell us a little bit about that experience.
2: So we actually were able to walk into the lab, and they had pretty much everything set up for us. It was an amazing experience. And we were able to take certain micronutrients and add them into a base, which was then mixed up right before our eyes. We watched it uh, turn from clear to blue to bright green. And of course, in the hell in the spirit, we love the bright green. But um, yes, it was really cool to see that transformation in front of your eyes. Again, like Ella said, you hear the words, they say the things, but until you see it and then you understand an application later how it's used, it's a wonderful experience. And I think it really helps connect us to agriculture so that way we are able to explain these to future FFA members.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. You know, through these experiences, uh, the hands-on experience I think is really important. And you're right, uh, Abigail, you can talk about you know, big fancy chemistry words, but until you touch it, feel it, and do it, it really kind of connects the dots, especially the grounded uh, example that we talked about with the, uh, the water going through and the yellow. Tell us a little bit about that, uh, Gracie. What did you experience from the grounded demo with the, uh, the sand?
3: Oh, that was just a really cool demonstration. You know, something that you don't think about whenever you look at a field, like especially whenever things are getting sprayed all the time and people are using different pesticides or whatever it might be, herbicides, and... Being able to see that firsthand with how the water came down as if there was a big flood or a big rainfall, kind of just like on a smaller scale, really puts it into perspective on how important each of these products are for our agriculturists in our state and across our nation.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point, Gracie, for sure. Uh, a great demonstration of how technology can impact agriculture and our environment, you know, to help protect our environment and the future as far as that goes. Well, ladies, want to thank you all for coming here. To the Helena Products Group and helping us celebrate National FFA Week here in Memphis at the Helena Products Group. Welcome back to Field Link. I'm your host, Bill Smith, and today we have. Todd Batch Elders. Todd is with Rent to Kill, which is based in. He's based in Delray Beach, but you, you guys have had a, quite a journey there, haven't you, Todd? You're going through lots of. Uh, it was a homegrown business, and now you've been acquired through several journeys. But before we get too deep, Todd, tell us a little bit about you, where's home, and uh, you know how did you get into the specialty industry?
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so where do I start? Wow. I'm from South Florida as well, okay. um, near the Delbury Beach area, so I know the area very well. I sold copiers really? for 16 years, 17 years or so. Yeah. Um, and that industry just completely changed and just stumbled upon this industry.. Really? Um, I wish I found it, you know as you know, entering into the work field, but sure. you know, it took a little while to get here, but I'm here. and uh, I, I just couldn't consume enough of it. It, um, it is so intriguing. There's so many different variables to it, yeah. and there's so much to know. Sure. And there's a lot of reward to this type of business as well to see – you can see the work that you're putting into it, and at the end of the day, we make things look nice. Right.
0: Right. Well, and I think that's important for our listeners to know. Let's talk a little bit about what you do, uh, what your company does in Delray Beach. You know, what kind of sectors? Do you work with homeowners? Do you work with commercial businesses? What kind of services do you provide?
4: So we're, we're full scope of pest control, termites, home pests, commercial pests, all of it. Sure. But we also have a the landscape aspect okay. uh, where we'll do fertilized weed, insect, disease control. Again, homes, businesses. We have found a niche with the HOA market. Okay. We deal with a lot of management companies that have these large properties where there's a thousand plus homes in there and we're in charge of all the plant material.
0: They take care of it. And that's very big for a lot of our listeners in Florida. HOAs are huge in a lot of cases and where you can go in, deal with one entity and they contract with your company to provide services like landscaping and pest control.
4: Yeah, so we'll, we'll come out there. We'll make sure that you don't have any uh, of your lawn destroying insects nutrition, uh, and again, of course, working with Helena, coming up with different solutions for various things that are happening on the property, whether it's preventative, reactive,
0: you know, there's there's all aspects. To a it. wide range of uh, uh, different services that you certainly provide. Let's talk a little bit. What are some of the major pests that you, you deal with on a day-to-day basis in those HOA situations? <laughs> well, it's South Florida, so
4: there's there's quite a bit of bugs we deal with, and it's year-round. There's not really much of a break. So we will, um, you know, a lot of chinch bugs, uh, sod webworms, army worms, those types of things, grubs. Grubs. Yeah. Um, one of the most challenging lately has been whitefly. Okay. We do a lot of ficus, uh, a lot of palm trees, and we had we had a period of time where spiraling whitefly came through. Okay. Um, did a lot of damage, and then we were able to kind of eradicate it. You really don't see it a whole lot anymore, but. There is I guess a, a new biotype of whitefly that's that's been challenging really? to say the least. And yeah.
0: it, as a pest what does the whitefly actually do? Does it destroy the plant or is it just a a pest to the human?
4: Well, so no, it, yeah, it actually destroys the plant. It's okay. a sucking piercing insect. Will make the tree actually defoliate. Okay. Um, very unsightly when when you sure. have a a 15-foot hedge blocking your your neighbor, and you've got a big, giant gaping hole that's going into your living room.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. So so all of a sudden, the, the, the plant material's gone, and they can look right into your uh, living room in that case. There you are. Yeah. And and that's, again, very important to people that are in HOA situations. A lot of times, those homes are a little closer together and and uh, well-manicured, of course, but pest control is really critically important.
4: Yeah. Oh, yes, sir. Absolutely. Again, South Florida, we're loaded with them. Yeah. So
0: yeah, very important.
4: And and again, it's it's uh, protecting your property as well as health.
0: Right. Uh, There's a lot going on there. You know, speaking a little bit about South Florida, you can't pick up the media. You know, you're you've got a lot of people moving to Florida right now, (laughs) and I'm assuming the HOAs are becoming more and more uh, available. Oh yeah. Oh yes. Yes. Which is an opportunity for your firm. Most
4: definitely. And they're still building. I mean, there's a lot of land still around, and they're they're still.
0: Plowing it down and building it up. Yeah. Obviously very attractive, you know, from uh, the, the the financial side of things because you've got a lot of uh, tax advantages and a lot of us up here in the north like to escape to that <laughs> 75 degree temperature that you're probably experiencing today. Yes. And we
4: thank you for your money. <laughs>
0: and they keep coming down. That's for sure. So Todd, tell us a little bit about your team. You've got, I'm assuming the pest group and then the landscape group, but tell us how you're organized.
4: Yeah, so it's a pretty well-oiled machine. There's a lot of work to do, though. So when you have a neighborhood that is 7 million square feet of plant material, you need the people. You need right. the right people, and you need to be able to properly apply products, of course, following label guidelines and laws, regulations, um, and just being good stewards of the environment. So, yeah, we have over 47 employees Okay, and numerous types of vehicles that they distribute throughout the properties with, whether it's spreading fertilization, spraying from a truck, riding on a a spreader sprayer. Sure. We are a full service company. So, you know, we have to uh, make sure that we're all uh, certified and trained to be able to go out and uh, implement all these different types
0: of services. Well, with an employee number of around the 47 or so employees, how do you attract talent to come work for you? Uh, that, that seems to be a challenge for mm. all of us in agriculture, all of us certainly in the specialty business like yourself. H- how are you doing it?
4: <laughs> well, so
0: South Florida, again, very uh, very tough
4: market. There's a lot of competition. Okay. So therefore, everybody's looking for the people who actually want to work, right? Sure. A lot of people, and unfortunately, a lot of people are getting priced out of that area. And who wants to travel all that way to, to go to work? So yeah, the pool keeps shrinking and shrinking. Really, our best way of finding people is through our own people, okay. um, asking them, you know, friends, family, neighbors, and we've actually had some some decent success with that, um, and I've been pulling more and more people in. So, for sure, but yeah. we can
0: always use more good people. Well, yeah, that personal connection certainly—it's kind of that first wave of verifying if this person's going to fit your culture for sure. Oh,
4: absolutely. You got to you. <laughs> Again, when, when these guys are out there working, they, they work very hard. Right. You don't want to disrupt that by having the wrong person in there because, you know, again, they work super hard and they don't need any
0: extra challenges put on them. Right, yeah. And to your point, they're touching a lot of different things too. You know, as you mentioned, fertility to nutritional sides of products uh, for, for, you know, growing flowers to grass to you name it, and then dealing with the pest side.
4: Yes. We do have a pest control Team as well. So we do keep that separated out to where you have your household pest and then you have your your lawn pest portion of it. But yes, there is a pest okay. aspect to the lawn as well. Lawn destroying insects, shrubs, your, sure. again, your white fly. There's <laughs> there's still plenty of pests to take over there.
0: So I think it's important too for listeners to understand, you know, when we talk about uh, the services you provide. Certainly outside we touched on, you know, the, the greenscape, if you will, side of the business but also the pest side, which is inside the home. Your team offers uh, services in that area, correct? Yeah, we do. And I've
4: really tried to, since coming in and purchasing hometown pest control, really try to change the way that we're we are approaching that. Gone are the days of spraying baseboards <laughs> okay. and uh, just kind of hoping that, that they go away. We've, we're instilling in our guys to be able to take the time, go around the property, inspect, Make sure we're looking for sources, avenues, and conducive conditions. We want to take the fight to them where they live
0: before they come into your home. Help me understand, uh, and our listeners understand, with your home services, are you entering the home once a quarter, once a month? Uh, How how does that all work out? (laughs) So again, our customer base has
4: been used to for the past 25 years of us coming inside their house Every single month, okay, on the day and time that they wanted, and we've had to reintroduce to them that hey, we you know this is no longer the way pest control is done, and it's just not effective that way. We want to do the best service for you. Okay, now. There are better products. However, these labels do require that we don't use them as often, and okay. they, they can't be laid down as often. So we have changed from a, a monthly to a quarterly service. However, of course, if it rains and the sure. ants come marching in, give us a call, and right. we'll come out and we'll take care of them. Okay,
0: yep. Like a lot of things in technology, pest control is involved. You guys have evolved from, hey, the first Monday of every month, and I'm going to be here at 1130, and now you're going to a quarterly basis because technology has evolved. Absolutely.
4: Um, It's easier to schedule, and it also allowed us to not have to tell the customer, hey, all of our prices have doubled, tripled, quadrupled. We've got to do so to you. Uh, Instead, we just said, hey, you're currently spending whatever you're currently spending per month. It's going to be the same. Your budget's the same. We deal with a lot of senior citizens that are 55-plus and these 55-plus communities, and we didn't want to disrupt that. So sure. we just said, hey, we're going to change the service frequency. We're not going to give you worse service. You know, We're actually going to use better products that's going to give you a better service, yeah. and we just changed the way we do it versus – charging more.
0: Right, less visits, but more effective visits. Absolutely, it works a win-win for everybody. It's interesting to hear the business model on how that has certainly evolved over time.
4: And listen, it's companies you know, like Helena that has been changing the technology to be able to do so.
0: I think that's a good point. You know, we try to invest a lot of dollars in research and development to come up with better solutions that are more effective and more environmentally friendly because let's face it, the the EPA is putting tougher and tougher restrictions on all of us and we've got a race to that occasion to you know, be able to uh, provide those kind of products that are going to best fit that particular customer. Exactly. Tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, when we talk about pests. I mean, it's a wide range of pests. Mm. We talked about some of the the flies and so for the white flies out there, but you also deal with, you know we mentioned ants on on the show so far, but I I imagine you have other rodents and birds and all kinds of things, correct? Welcome to South Florida. Uh, Mosquitoes,
4: and again, we we call them pests, but it's not just because they're infiltrating coming into our home. They they carry disease. Right. And we have a lot of water, water around Mm-hmm. Uh, South Florida, therefore, we have a lot of rodents, and I tell you what they <laughs> rodents are are amazing, just how intelligent they are and how they move about. they literally as they come into your home or onto your patio and get to your grill, leave uh you know little droplets along with information right uh, other rodents come along they they find that information and they say, "Oh hey, here's a food source here's a you know, here's a good shelter. Our, our water's over here. And if you don't remove that aspect of it, you can trap them out all day, mm-hmm. bait them all day. But the next batch that's passing by, they're going to bump into that information and just reinvest. Wow. Yeah. They're, they're, they're fascinating.
0: It's an amazing area, you know, and if you live in an environment like that, uh, control is critical and consistent maintenance, I assume, is very, very important. We need help. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's not just that we need help from
4: the the homeowners as well, or the mm. business owner. You you got to make sure that things are picked up. You got to make sure that things are tidy. And if you get deliveries of boxes to your kitchen, you know, get them out as, uh, immediately. If at home you've got your deliveries, sure. Um, Lord knows I probably have six or seven boxes sitting on my doorstep right now. <laughs> <laughs> when those boxes come in, unpack it, get the boxes out because they harbor usually will harbor roaches.
0: Wow. I can be just a home for rodents, roaches, whatever. Those Amazon boxes that are sitting on everybody's <laughs> front porch, you better get get rid of them real quick. <laughs> exactly. No, exactly. Wow. Interesting. You know, t- talk to us a little bit about, you know, you're certainly providing a lot of services uh, for homes and commercial side of things in, inside for pest control. And, and of course, we touched a little bit on the outside side, but you guys get involved in a lot of different things. And in terms of discovering, like, Challenges out there. And one of the recent areas that your team came up with and you worked through some challenges was with on foxtail plants. Tell us this story. Uh, a lot of our listeners are not familiar, again, with South Florida and some of the challenges you have, but tell us a little bit about this foxtail palm story.
4: I really enjoy finding these problems and then what's the solution, right? And I really strive to to push through until we find it. So I'm, I'm going to use all resources and sure. avenues to, to do so. We have a large community. There was, uh, I don't know, uh, nearly 500 foxtail palm trees. Okay. Uh, They're on the property that they had planted. Hurricane knocked down some big, beautiful trees that they had in the swells and um, they needed
0: to replant something. They decided to go with palm trees. So tell us a little bit about for, for some of our listeners that are not, we're familiar with palm trees, but what is a fox tail palm tree? <laughs> how high does it get? And
4: they they can grow pretty tall. Okay, um, you know, again, depending on how much fertility, water, you know, the condition that they're in, sure, they'll grow 20, 25,
0: You know, they're, so these are so the big one, these are the big palm trees that we see on Gilligan's Island, and that's sort of right, thing. right. Okay,
4: so this particular species was actually discovered. Not very long ago, when you think about it, okay. compared to a lot of other palm trees, uh, okay. I think it was in Australia or something. Okay. You know, some somewhere in the outback okay. that, <laughs> that, um, that somebody just stumbled upon and brought them over. They call them fox tails though, because literally the the fronds themselves are bushy and look like a fox's tail.
0: Okay. All right. Interesting. Huh. Huh. Wow. A lot of different. Okay. Uh, started in. <laughs> so anyway. But- no. Yeah.
4: So we went to this this HOA. They they call us with this problem. We've been we've been maintaining it for some time, giving it fertilizer and and then we treat the rest of the property as well. Um, and they asked us, hey, what you know, why are these palm trees dying? Why are why are the branches snapping? Other branches are prematurely turning brown. Uh, some of the new shoots that are coming up are just coming straight up and then snapping over, falling off. You know, are, are you actually doing your job? <laughs> And for a minute, you you kind of take a deep you know deep breath, hoping that oh my goodness, I hope we fertilize these oh boy, properly. Did, did my guys
0: miss <laughs> this tree or not? You know? Yeah, but, exactly. But that's not the case. So
4: exactly. So and again, help with with Helena. My rep Steve Reynolds uh, from Helena came out with me. We took a bunch of samples of soil. Okay. And then the different plant materials. So we took some of the roots as well as pieces of the fronds mm-hmm. um, from the top of the tree. Of course, we got to get you know, ladders out, make sure we get the ones from the, you know, the newer shoots that are coming out. So just analyze what is going on. Do we have that nutrition in the ground? And is the plant taking it up? So we get everything back from the labs and Steve gives me a call and says, hey, something very strange is going on there. The soil has all the nutrition it possibly needs, but the plant is highly toxic with aluminum. Hmm. Yeah, that's what I said. (laughs) aluminum. <laughs> so we you know dug some more and more you know trying to figure out is is it the water source? Right. They have lakes there, a lot of properties will pump from the lakes, but they're not pumping from the lakes. They're using the same city reclaimed water that numerous other
0: properties are using. Sure. So, you know, we had to Take che- that off the check list. Check that box. And uh, through the Intelligence or RX360 system, we've got some of these tools like exactly. Steve was using, the yep. High Ground and Extractor and some of these <laughs> programs. Yeah. Exactly.
4: So, again, going through all of that, figuring all of that out, we then just – we decided to get the University of Florida uh, involved. Okay. Great, great group of scientists, and they love what they do. So they love to get involved you know it's not like hey you you got to pay them all this money to have somebody come out and help us out no they're they're ready to jump on it and sure. figure out what's going on and they they want to know themselves right so they come out and you know again we took samples together and we got you know they looked at our old reports then we got some new reports we went through them again and you know they said this 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 isn't possible well we you know we said well here it is it's right in front of us yeah <laughs> this this has only been documented in, I guess, uh, South places in South America. So we kind of went back and forth with it. They then brought in another specialist as well. We actually wound up taking uh, one of the palms out to analyze the roots and get down to the bottom soil and, and sure. see what's in there. Ultimately, the university wanted to, they want to analyze more. They want to figure this out. They want mm-hmm. to document this. They want to research this. They, they want to put all this stuff into it. My, my customer, the HOA, once their palm tree's looking nice. Yeah. Let's fix it now. <laughs> exactly. So I would have loved to have gone further in that process to really document this. What exactly is this? How is this? But <laughs> we came up with a, with a cocktail from uh, Helena that actually extracted, was able to take that toxic aluminum out of the tree, or, or at least bring it to reasonable levels. Sure. And then added some other products that one would allow the receptors, you know, the the roots to actually take up and encourage the plant to take up the nutrition. And quite frankly, after the first treatment, I would say 90% of them turned around. Wow. Yeah. And then um, we did one other treatment to probably 30-something trees and uh, our plants and then another, I think, 5, 10 more after that for a third treatment. But other than that, I mean, it was settled. Now I'm I'm gonna have to dig into this a little bit further. Sure. Because I literally just before I, I came here, I got reports back of another customer who's in a, a whole different zone. Okay. That is a residence, uh, you know, a, just a, a single resident that has the same thing in their foxtails.
0: Wow. Yeah. So. So it might be a bigger issue out there potentially. Yeah. More, yeah. more to discover, but the good news is you're able to work with your Helena team and come up with a solution. That saved sounds like several hundred trees potentially, and hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, yeah. By the time
4: you take all of those out, replace those plants, and um, uh, you know. What's the value of one of those
0: trees on average?
4: Um, you're usually about just to go purchase the the plant itself. It's, you're probably a hundred dollars a foot. Okay. Of trunk and you're on average they're probably eight to ten feet. Sure. You know, thousand, thousand bucks a plant, but then you've got to get somebody to remove the old ones, (laughs) remove
0: the old one, put the new one in and make sure it's, yeah. So you're wrapping up several thousand probably before it's all said and done.
4: And then you're going to want to remediate the soil anyway. You know,
0: figure out whatever's going on in there. So,
4: yeah, you're, you're into a lot of money.
0: Yeah, so uh, looking pretty takes some cash. And <laughs> and if you have this uh, toxicity like you found, you discovered uh, with aluminum, I mean, wow, what a solution you came up with. And uh, be able to provide that homeowner an agronomic solution that makes sense and is safe. Exactly. Yeah, I know that.
4: And the customer ultimately was was then satisfied and realized, hey, you know what? Yeah, you guys have been doing a good job all this time and you know, it built a little more loyalty to us because we came to them and said, "Hey, here's this problem. We're figuring this out and here's the solution." And then implemented that solution, solved it. And now, you know, hopefully they stay with us a very long time.
0: A true solutions provider is what you are. Most definitely. Yeah, that's awesome. Great story too. Todd, tell us a little bit about what's the future look like for your industry? What's, I guess, coming forward uh, that you feel are some great opportunities?
4: So you mentioned earlier, uh, Rent-A-Kill Terminix. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we're we're still considered hometown pest control. Okay. The coming years, as we integrate and as we, you know, we, we start sharing resources more so, we truly have an opportunity to give and be able to provide, you know, the best services, the best products, the best people, the best research, all of it by having this particular partnership. So, again, as we kind of condense, you know, there's also going to be an ra- opportunity to be able to, to reroute some things to have a better density. Um, mm. So those are the kind of things that we're kind of yeah. looking forward to over the, the coming years of
0: integrating into that with them as well. From hometown to, yep. to your new venture with rent to kill Terminex, that combination there. Big, big brand out there for sure uh, with a lot of resources and uh, at the end of the day, trying to provide more service that's specific to your customers in South Florida. Yes, sir. Exactly. Todd, want to thank you for joining us here today on this episode of Phil Lincoln, sharing your insight about the pest industry for homeowners and commercial units, as well as the landscape side of the industry.
4: I appreciate the opportunity. Definitely love coming on here and telling our stories. And uh, hopefully we get to uh, tell some more stories
0: with you. All right. Thanks for joining us, Todd. Thanks. You bet. And welcome back to Field Link. I'm your host, Bill Smith. And joining us today in the studio is Jody and Brady Lawrence. Guys, welcome to uh, Memphis and welcome to Helena.
5: Thank you, Bill. It's good to be back in the studio. It's always a fun place to do an update from.
0: Yeah, looking forward to today's update. We're bringing Brady in, who's going to be our cotton-wise expert here today. We're going to talk a lot about cotton and some opportunities there in the marketplace around cotton uh, for a lot of growers that have that capability. But before we deep dive there, Jody, let's talk a little bit about kind of what's going on across a wider perspective. You know, we're kind of in a weird time right now as far as really what traders are looking at as well as what's happening in Washington too.
5: Yeah, there's so much stuff because when you take out the South American weather issue that we had in October, November, and they're for both Brazil and Argentina in really pretty good shape considering they started off a little rough, Mm -hmm. that when you take that opportunity out of the market to trade, uh, and the USDA certainly didn't help us last Thursday on their expectations for what brazil argentina and world demand for the next year are going to look like you're really in a soft spot in the market and it's flattened out even after december and january with the the, the really sharp declines you're in a spot where you everything's just kind of treading water because corn and wheat can't get out of their own way, but they're not going down anymore. So that's the first positive. Right. While beans are really in an uproar, a lot of volatility, but still a little bit of a downtrend because there's such a huge disparity in how big is Brazil's crop between the WASDI estimate last week and some of the private estimates that are coming from Brazil. So you've got an international... Agency telling the local agencies that they're not right, which I find to be incredibly funny. When when you look at what a price impact that could be,
0: creating a huge tug of war on who's right. It's kind of a battle back and forth, and you know we're sitting here in the marketplace going,
5: who do we trust? Exactly, and it's it's such a difficult position. And right now. Because the market is just kind of forced to trade the WASD number. We are definitely trading the larger number, the 156 million metric ton crop. But you have just the other day, what is the equivalent of the Brazilian Soybean Growers Association Mm -hmm. come out, tell all of their members to hold on to their beans because they think the crop is below 140 million metric tons. And that 15 million metric tons, a million metric ton of beans is 36.7 million bushels. So 15 times 36, just rounded up to 40, you're talking, you know, 575 to 600 million bushels of beans, which is almost double what the U S carryout was last year.
0: Wow. A lot of concerns around soybeans and and really what that overall supply is also impacting corn too. Really kind of the only, I guess, excitement around corn right now is around the biofuels uh, area. We still consider a little bit of chatter happening in that area as well.
5: Yeah. The ethanol demand certainly has stayed up this year as gas prices got lower. The Corn prices started to fall. All the ethanol plants had nice margins, and their production stayed up. And the real battle moving forward, whether it's over the next six months, and really we should get some definitive answers in the next two, two two-and-a-half years, is the SAF, the Renewable Biodiesel Aviation Fuel, and all of those crush plants that are going on. Because as they come online and they need more beans— all of a sudden, if we make a big shift, and we, we could see it this year just simply from an economic standpoint, right. where you cut three, four million acres of corn and put those into beans, and just simply see what begins to happen on where the matrix figures out over the next couple mm-hmm. of years how many acres of corn, how many acres of beans to satisfy both sides of the demand equation.
0: Well, and, and, and I was listening to some Other folks talk about this the other day. They were in Frankfurt, Germany, and starting to see some of those facilities being put up for jet fuel already uh, over in Europe. So it only takes one state, like the state of California, to say, hey, we want that kind of jet fuel now. Could really impact growers eh, really in twenty-four.
5: Absolutely, because you've got eight or nine that are currently open you've got approval and it's funny you mentioned California because a couple weeks ago their big plant got their final approval mm-hmm. to start getting some beans delivered and so that'll move on and just that plant's going to use 110,000 bushels of beans a day right you know and you figure they'll crush and produce for 300 days a year you multiply that out over 30 facilities that are expected to be online by harvest of 25 or early 26, you're talking about a huge amount, five, 600 million extra bushels of beans that we could need on the conservative side, which you do the math. It's pretty easy at 50 bushels an acre, 500 right. millions, 10 million acres of beans.
0: That's right. 10 million overnight. What there's really a kind of a stroke of a pen and what's fueling that excitement is, well, kind of what's happening in Washington and around energy and the farm bill. And we're still kind of kicking that can down the road too.
5: Yeah, I think in a big election year like this, that everybody takes the path of least resistance, especially politicians, that we're going to just see the current Farm Bill more than likely see minimal, if any, changes renewed and push it into you know next year. I guess that would not expire until, what, 25, 25. Yeah. at that point. And I don't think there's really anything wrong with the Farm Bill. I've not heard any... Widespread Mm -hmm. complaints that, oh gosh, we've got to go in and change this, or, you know, why are those people letting this continue? So I'm not, I hadn't found anybody that's disappointed that it's going to be status quo.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, from from what I'm hearing uh, in Washington right now, it feels like, uh, uh, you know, a lot of legislators don't want to make the commitment. they're, they're busy. Uh, they don't even know if they'll find time to get it done here in the next 30 days or so. So finding the time is going to be the big key in, in order to debate it. So I think you're right. It's going to kick down another year from now and we'll come back here. The one thing that is certainly being talked about, though, is certainly you know, fuel and energy and, and the whole biofuel area. So that does have some Clearly, some opportunity there. So, Jody, let's uh, go ahead and pull Brady in here, too. You know, we got a lot of things. You know, we've already talked corn, beans kind of, it's just kind of a ho hum. We're kind of in that weird stage right now. But the one area that's showing a little bit of promise is around cotton. Guys, what's going on in this cotton area? It's getting a little bit of attention right now.
6: Yeah, cotton has batted the last couple months that corn and beans have had. Cotton has actually seen a rally, which has given a lot of farmers better feeling going into planting in the spring that you can actually be profitable and the banks will actually loan you the money to farm cotton instead of beans with an improved ratio where we were looking at it at 18 to 1 not too long ago. Now it's back down to 14 to 1, which is kind of the prime area where you're looking at profitable Uh, Yeah,
0: a good opportunity for growers to that can raise cotton to take maybe advantage of this financial position. So Brady, you know, uh, as we take a look at you know these ratios, like you mentioned, pretty good opportunity for some growers if the math works, obviously on their operation and their farm. What's really driving this energy? What's really behind the I guess the excitement around cotton right now?
6: Well, there are a couple factors going on, and a lot of it comes from China. China right now they're going to stop growing cotton in the Xinjiang province and that will allow them to have to import a lot more of their cotton which comes from the U.S. other players but that means that they'll have to import all the cotton just to export their finished goods where they used to be able to keep it you know in the country get it for cheaper now they have to buy cotton which hasn't been necessarily the problem as the last couple of years. They haven't had
0: a big demand, have they? Uh, You know, coming off of COVID, that economy in China has been struggling, starting to make a little bit of a change there. And uh, all of a sudden, we've got a shortage globally in cotton and the big buyer out there is China, isn't it?
5: China is a big buyer. And you look at You know, the new economic numbers came out today on U.S. inflation that it was a little bit hotter than everybody expected. And what's really fueling it, you look at the consumption factor of how good the U.S. buyers have been to continue to keep the economy going, like the rates were still low from two years ago, because you've got consumer demand and the unemployment market is really tight. So Mm -hmm. you've got all the demand factors in the U.S. that the cotton market needs to see that exchange of physical cotton for finished goods that are coming back from China. Right, right.
0: So guys, let's talk about, uh, I guess, consumer demand for the U.S. for, for, for cotton and other products like this.
5: What we saw, and you look at the U.S. economy and the inflation numbers came out a little hotter than expected because the U.S. economy continues to show that the consumers are buying even though they're trying to slow down the U.S. economy and that consumption. But what we're seeing finally is as the cotton market needs, China needs the physical cotton because the consumption of the finished product in shirts, clothing, everything else in the u.s and globally as uh, everybody has gotten used to the higher interest rate environment is really been a positive for cotton and that demand looks to continue because it's you know you look the price cotton today it's up another over a penny a pound and it's uh, now gosh it's an 18 month high right so that's good to see for everybody and and cotton over 90 this goes back to a little bit of what we're talking about on beans Cotton is going to take some acres from beans.
0: Yep. And it, 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 it has a great opportunity to do that. Like Brady mentioned, the banker might drive a little bit of that discussion because there is a great opportunity there. And as we talk about uh, the economy, you know, I think it it's good for listeners to think about, you know, we're coming off the COVID year. And although it feels like it's just yesterday, but it's been a couple of years the demand for clothes, the demand for cotton goods are certainly increasing, but uh, spending is still happening out there. Uh, you know, consumers are spending cash uh, or, or drawing up a big credit card in a lot of cases.
5: Yeah, it's, it's, it, it really is amazing, and I think that the Federal Reserve and a lot of the people in the Treasury are shocked that they are intentionally trying to throw cold water on the U.S. economy and they simply can't do it because the unemployment numbers are great and hourly wages continue to go up And productive hours. It's it, it's an impressive thing. And, and the big concern really is for, you know, you look at the age group now, what getting in the workforce is mm-hmm. that trying to afford a higher interest rate in a rising environment for the housing market because right. it was one thing that it, you understood why there was a problem when interest rates were at, you know three four percent but now that they're at eight nine ten percent and there's still a problem that really you're gonna it, i don't know what wall that crashes into but it's going to the housing market is something that I think it's going to be a particular problem moving forward.
0: It, it's definitely going to have to have a, a crash or a hit or something because we're not seeing housing necessarily drop. Um, building is slowed down, it feels like. Uh, but boy, to your point, for, for the 20-something crowd that can't quite afford that new entry home like you could 30 years ago, 20 years ago, for goodness sakes, rent is still high rent is really high in some cases. I know this because I'm paying for rent <laughs> for a couple kids in college. So uh, it, it's tough out there from that perspective. Um, let's talk a little bit about some opportunities. We've talked about some of the trends around cotton, but as we take a look for growers, some cotton-wise strategies moving forward, what, what do you guys, eh, yourselves and some of your colleagues, what are some gr- tactics, I guess, growers could take a look at this year?
6: Well, from growers that we've talked to, seeing that the break even this year will probably be in the low 80 cent range on some cheaper land, not irrigated and everything like that. So, right now, you have an opportunity to maybe put some floors into at least kind of make sure you're break even. As bullish as some of these things are that we've talked about, it can change overnight. So, you always want to provide some protection, and options in the cotton market are very popular. So, some put strategies out there definitely would be worth looking at, because, like I just said, it can turn overnight, and you don't want to be caught on the wrong end of it.
0: Yeah, definitely, uh, uh, some good options out there to really sit down uh, with your your advisors, financial advisors, your bankers, and really put some strategies together as we take a look at cotton this year for some of those some of those acres that maybe haven't been in production the last few years. Guys, what are some other things that growers could consider, I guess, moving forward here in the next uh, couple of months as we take a look at this cotton prop?
5: Really, that's about it. What we're encouraging everybody is as they get their financing, because the bank certainly is more motivated now to help them put in some some acres, sure. is to to get those put floors underneath that and, and lock in where their profitability is, because you look at what happened this year. Uh, just the U.S. corn crops, perfect example. Mm-hmm. In late June, we're at six twenty-five, and everybody could have made a bunch of money. But that's right when everybody was concerned about their crop. And now that we sit here two dollars below that, right. after a big crop, you have to remember, just like Brady said, you don't know what the event or the day is going to be, but you know that that shoe is out there to fall. And when you do have profitability, especially as these margins are getting tighter and tighter, as land gets more expensive, rent gets higher, that you've got to take advantage of it while you can. Because if you're just riding this thing with no strategy and completely unprotected, it's either going to be a home run or you're going to take – you know take strike 3 because well, there's really not much room in between. I think
0: that's a great point because now's a good time uh as we're you know creating this podcast here in, in, in mid February now's a great time to be sitting down with your banker your your Helena representative and really penciling this thing out is it going to make money for you where where where's your break even at and really put some some security in place
5: Exactly exactly
0: well, guys, I want to thank you all for joining us today uh, here on this episode of Field Link and helping us become a little bit more cotton-wise as it relates to uh, marketing cotton in 2024.
5: Thank you, Bill. We always appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for having us.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of Field Link. To learn how you can further support the youth in agriculture, visit FFA.org and check out the National FFA Foundation section on their website or contact your local FFA chapter to learn how you can become more involved in helping cultivate the future of agriculture.